Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. We're in the, the series called Are You Ready for Christmas? Today's the last one of those, and then it's the big day. Are you ready? Are you ready to see family and, and, and you know, that aunt that, that grates on your last nerve or the brother-in-law that you just can't stand to be around or whatever? We're going to have some help for that today. We're going to talk about that a little bit today. What do you call a group of people? What do you call a group of lying, cheating, greedy, covetous, lustful, porn-watching, tax-dodging, racist, jealous, judgmental, lonely, angry people who eat too much, spend too much, drink too much, medicate too much, worry too much, smoke too much, social media too much, who gather together because they believe Jesus is the light of the world and they need more light? You call that the church? Did I miss anybody? Uh-huh. Do I need to expand the list at all, or did, I, did, did you find yourself on there somewhere? Um, if you thought you showed up today and you were going to spend today with a bunch of, uh, you know, holy people and sinless people and people that uh, get it right all the time, I got news for you. You came to the wrong church, because that's not this church, and the, the total honesty is that's not any church. No matter where you go, when you walk in, you're going to be with a bunch of people that are jacked up, messed up that would find themselves on that list somewhere and say, you know what, that's me. That's me. And I'm trying for that not to be me, but if I'm totally honest right now, that's kind of where I am and that's what I, who I am. And, and uh, that's why whenever somebody protests to me, you know, when I hear somebody say, well, I don't go to church. Why don't you go to church? Well, there's nothing but hypocrites at church. Just a bunch of hypocrites. That's why my favorite response to those people is, well, come on, we could use one more. Right? Because... Because, you know, we're, yeah, we're hypocrites. Yeah, I tell people all the time, you should give Christians a lot of grace. We're the only group of people that take all the things that we are prone to do and tell everybody those are out of bounds. We're not going to do those. We're going to try not to do those. Even though those are the things we love to do, these are the things we're going to try not to do because we don't think they glorify the Lord. And, and it's, it's, all the, it's all the things that are in our wheelhouse. It's all the things that come naturally to us. It's all the things that we struggle with. And then people who don't follow Jesus, of course, it's easy for them. They, they have never declared that up front. And then they, they, they are quick to point out that we're hypocrites. And the thing is, if they tried to do this, they would be a hypocrite too, right? And so it really, it's kind of a cowardice. And I, I'm not, it's a heck of a way to talk to the non-believers in the room this morning. If you, if you don't follow Jesus, <laughs> welcome to Cross Lane. I'm Brett. I'm your friend. I'm here to tell you the truth. But there's a part of it that it's kind of a, a cop-out. Because you know if you tried to walk a, a better path, that you would struggle just like we struggle. And we're not proud of it. We're not happy about it. That's not the way we want it to be, but that's the way it is. See, most people talk about church as an institution rather than a group of people. People say things, and maybe you've said this, the church ought to do this, or the church ought to do that, as if, you know, you know, Brett, the church should take a stand. Whenever I hear that, really what I hear is somebody saying the church should take my stand. They should take the stand that I take. They should have my viewpoint, because I can guarantee you if I got up here and I took a stand and it wasn't your stand, you wouldn't like it. If I came at it from another angle, or if I came at it from the other side, you know, somebody would say, no, that's not what I meant. But oftentimes what people want me to do when they say take a stand is, is they want me to take their stand. See, uh, I'm not the church. We are the church. 
We are the church. And we need to understand this. The church isn't a place where we agree on everything. The church is, is a, a gathering of imperfect, messed up, jacked up people, and that's why you probably weren't too offended when I put that list up there a few minutes ago because in all likelihood, you saw yourself on that list once at least, maybe a couple of times. I know some of you, and I know some of you more than three. Like, <laughs> I'm playing. The church is a gathering of imperfect people. People that don't get it right. And, and you can probably find yourself on that list just like I did. And, and we don't agree on everything. We just really agree on two things. We pretty much agree on two things. We agree that God sent his son into the world to forgive us and to extend to us something that we desperately needed and to help us get over ourselves. Some of us, our sin is so heavy and it's so it's paralyzing sometimes. And, and Jesus comes in and he says, you know what, I'm going to help you get over yourself. And the second thing we agree on is that when God sent his son into the world, he extended something to us that we are now responsible to extend to one another and others outside the gathering as well. And that, that thing that we've been called to extend to others is grace. Grace is like the oil in the machine. Your car has an engine in it. And somewhere, some uh, engineer sat down behind his computer and he mapped out, they gave him the specifications for the space he had to work with, and he mapped out an engine and the component parts for that engine and he figured out a way to put all that together and your car engine has been designed to work flawlessly and to function together with all these parts moving in and out and around and, and it's just this finely tuned machine and it will do that fairly well as long as you keep it oiled as long as you keep it lubricated but if you don't put oil in the machine eventually what happens is friction starts to build up and as friction builds up now we've got heat and as the heat starts to build eventually those parts will begin to break down and so grace is like the oil in a relationship Grace is like the oil in church. It's like the oil in society. And it enables people who are different from one another to be able to get along. It enables people who are nothing alike to be able to come together and work on something. You probably work with some people at work that, that aren't exactly like you. They don't share your political side. They don't share your religious beliefs. They don't share the way, you know, they don't raise kids the way you would raise kids. And there might be, they talk different than you but you're able to come together and you're able to do work, probably because on some level, there's some grace being exchanged. Grace allows people who aren't alike to get along and accomplish amazing things, even though they have differences. And the reason we talk about this so often at Christmas time is because our Heavenly Father initiated this. He modeled this for us. In fact, it's in one of the lines of one of our favorite Christmas carols, God and Sinner reconciled at christmas we celebrate the reconciliation of god and sinner and it could not happen without grace see you can be right without grace but you cannot be reconciled without grace and boy am i glad jesus didn't come into the world to be right Jesus came into the world to make things right. In fact, 
within the context of relationships, grace becomes amazing when it gets extended to other people. And we said this last week that grace can become invisible. Grace is one of those things that you don't even know it's there until you've experienced it. You have to experience grace to know that it's even showed up. And when God sent his son into the world, he sent grace by sending Jesus to us. Grace is the most amazing when it is extended to others in relationship, and you are most amazing when you extend grace to other people. You are most like Jesus when you give grace to somebody else. And God's amazing grace and his amazing uh, grace is an invitation to you to be amazing, especially in relationship. Grace is our greatest opportunity to be amazing. But extending grace to somebody else is not always easy, is it? More specifically, extending grace to certain kinds of people. We've all got somebody that we just aren't crazy about, right? You ever have that? It's just, man, I'm just a hard time being around them. I've got an uncle like that. It's just, it's like when I know I'm going to be around him, it's like I pray extra hard. Like, Man, just, God, help me to love this dude. Help me to not cop an attitude. Help me, to, help me to be Jesus to him. Help me to break through. Help me to be kind. All of us have a person or a group of people for whom it's very hard for us to extend grace to them. And Jesus tells us why. Jesus asked what, what is likely to be one of the most unsettling questions asked by anybody, anytime, anywhere. And I got to warn you, this question, it's difficult. It's like being punched in the nose, this question we're going to look at this morning. And I'll just say this too, if you're not a Christian, if you're here this morning and you're not a, a Christ follower, you don't have to play along. This is one of those sermons where you just kind of get to sit back and watch us wallow in our self, you know, our, all of our muck and mire and, and just kind of laugh at us like, yeah, I'm glad that that question doesn't get asked of me because it's just going to make us feel miserable and you just kind of get to watch us in our misery and you may hear this question and you may decide, I'm never following Jesus. If that's, what Je if that's the kind of stuff Jesus is asking, I don't know that I want to be any part of that. So if you're not a Christian, you get to choose whether or not you, you're going to play along, but for those of us that are Christ followers, we have no choice. This is what Jesus expects of us. So here's the question. This takes us right to the heart of why it is so difficult for most of us to extend grace to somebody or to a group of somebodies. You ready? Here's the question. Matthew chapter 7, verse 3. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Jesus knows how to land a punch. Couldn't you have just, can't we just talk about prayer? Brett, it's Christmas. Can't we just talk about little baby Jesus? Oh, that's nice. Talk about baby Jesus and love and that'd be, that's nice. That's so nice. No. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and you pay no attention to the plank that's in your own? Now, it's possible that over the next several minutes, you're going to get angry with me or upset, but I just want you to, you to remember, I didn't say this. Jesus said this. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? Why do you get so focused and so amped up over some itty-bitty little thing that somebody else did? 
and yet you, you can't see your own problems and your own attitudes and your own habits and your own addictions, and you look right past all that stuff and you see some small thing in somebody else? Why can't you see the plank in your own eye to which somebody out there wants to say, well, preacher, I'll tell you why, because it's not a speck of sawdust in their eye. It's not, a, it's not just a speck of sawdust. Brett, they're a Democrat. Brett, she's a Republican. I was in their house. They watch CNN. I was in their house, and they watch Fox News all the time. It's not just a speck. It's a really big deal. For others of us, it's more personal than that. For you, it's really not a speck, okay? You might say something like, hey, listen, my dad walked out on my mother and, and his four kids, me being the oldest at eight years old. I was eight, and he left, and he never came back. And he left my mom to raise us, and I had no dad my whole life. And then he comes back late in life after he's old and he's sick, and he expects us to take care of him. Brett, that's not a speck, okay? That's a big deal. And you can preach your cute little sermon, but, but it's not a speck in his eye. It's a really big thing. And it makes sense that with that kind of stuff going on, we would get a little worked up when Jesus starts asking questions like this. When it seems like he doesn't know our story. Secondly, Jesus, I don't have a plank in my eye. First of all, that's not a speck in their eye. It's not a speck of sawdust. It's a really big thing. And the, and the reason that I focus on the speck in my brother's eye and the plank that's not in mine is because I don't have a plank in my eye, Jesus. That's not my problem. I see the world as it really is. I understand how things really work. I know what's really going on. I mean, come on. You don't really have a plank in your eye, do you? You don't. I mean, you're not so jacked up that you, you can't. There's nothing wrong with you. You haven't been affected by your upbringing, have you? You haven't been affected by your environment or your experience or your education or your health. You, you haven't been influenced by success or failure or insecurities or the opportunities you've had or your intelligence quotient or your, you're looking at that like EQ. What's EQ? EQ is emotional quotient. It's your self-awareness. It's, it's, do you recognize what's happening around you? And some people, you ever been around somebody that has no EQ? <laughs> They're the people you don't like. <laughs> These things don't influence the way you see the world, right? You don't have a plank in your eye. Other people do. And Jesus just confused them with us, but you don't have a plank. I don't have a plank in my eye. We're okay, right? He's not done. He's going to keep talking. We wish he would stop, but he doesn't stop. Verse 4, how can you say to your brother, what kind of things do we say? Let me tell you how the world works. Let me tell you what you did wrong. Let me tell you how the world works. Let me tell you what you should have done. Let me tell you what you need to do. Let me help you see the world. Let me tell you how this works. Right? That's, we, we offer, let me tell you the way it is. He's, he's like, how can you say those kind of things to your brother when all the time there is a plank in your eye. And then, if you're not a Christian, you're going to love this next part. This may make you a fan of Jesus. I don't know. Um, and, and you may not have even known that he said this, but uh, 
And by the way, he wasn't talking to non-Christians. Jesus wasn't talking to non-Christians when he said this. He's talking to believers. He rears back, and he's going to throw a two-word haymaker. Okay? He's going to show you that he can land a punch. Verse 5, you hypocrite. <laughs> to which all the unchurched people want to go, Hercules, Hercules, right? Like, oh yeah, he's about to get after the Christians. This is going to be fun. Where's my popcorn? I want to watch this. I want to watch Jesus get after the Christians. Finally, somebody is going to stand up to those church people and tell them what for and tell them how jacked up they are. Go, Jesus. You sinner. You fall shorter. You did it on purposer. Over and over and over again. You know why God is able to extend grace to you in spite of you? You know why God decided to send his son into the world in spite of you? So that you could be reconciled through grace because he could see you and he could see exactly who you are and he could take into account all of the things. He knows about your upbringing. He knows about the environment you are forced into. He knows what you've experienced. He knows what your health challenges are. He understands how success has blinded you. He understands how failure, what it did to you. He knows about missed opportunities and how you feel about them. He knows about your insecurities. He knows about your IQ and your EQ. He knows all that stuff. He took it all into consideration, what you did with it, what you didn't do with it. God decided to extend grace to you. He took it all into consideration. The Apostle Paul, looking back over the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ, he's looking back at Paul, who really understood himself to be one of the biggest hypocrites around. It was Paul who said, you know, I'm the chief of all sinners. Even though, really, when it came to the law, when it came to keeping the law, Paul at one time had been a Pharisee. He was really good at keeping the law. But he wrote this. He's, he's, he doesn't have us in mind. He's got himself in mind, and he's got his first century audience in mind. But he wrote this. This is my, my all-time favorite verse uh, in the Bible. In fact, when we did the renovations on the church building, they redid the office suite, and I was going to get a new office. And while the carpet was up, I had just a bare floor. I went into my office and tried to figure out exactly where my chair was going to sit, and I wrote this verse down on the floor. So underneath where my seat is in my office, this verse is written because it just, to me, this verse is everything. It's Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The verb tense in that passage is really, really important. Paul recognized, while I was north of Jerusalem, unaware of what was happening in Jerusalem when Jesus is being crucified, while I was north of Jerusalem sinning, Jesus, at that very moment I was a sinner sinning, Jesus was dying for my sin. While I was an active sinner in the act, Jesus is being nailed to a cross for sins I was committing at that very moment. Had Paul written that verse for us, I think it would have sounded something like this. I think if, if he'd written it with us in mind, 
he might have said it like this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, knowing ahead of time the sins we would commit and confess and repeat and confess again, Christ died for us anyway. Because that's what grace does. God was able to take your whole story into consideration. And he gave you what you deserved most, least. He gave you what you deserved least, but that you needed the most. And then he says to you and me, now it's your turn. Now I want you to do for somebody else what I've done for you. I've given you grace, now I want you to give grace to somebody else. Now let me be clear. This is not about you feeling guilty. This isn't about you coming in here this morning and, and you hearing this and then going home and telling your roommate or your husband or your wife or your mom or whatever, hey, Brett really convicted me today and I'm just, I just need to be nicer. So I'm going to be nicer. I'm going to go to that office party tomorrow and that person that I can't stand is going to be there, but I'm going to, Brett got to me and I'm going to be nicer and I'm not going to cross my arms and I'm not going to look away and I'm not going to have snarky comments to say and scowl and I'm not going to do that because Brett told me I need to be nice. This isn't about being nicer. Jesus says that's not where this starts. First, before you try to go extend grace to somebody, you're never going to get that right unless first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. I couldn't wait to preach this message because it's just one of those things I felt so guilty that I wanted you to share the guilt with me, right? Like, I, I don't want to carry all this by myself. Let, I want to put this on you and let you deal with it a little bit. I've known this was coming. I'm like, whew, because I struggle with this stuff just like you do. This past week, I had a situation where God basically said, Okay, preacher boy, you're going to preach this on Sunday. Let's see how you do with this. And I had a situation where I had to deal with a person that I'm not crazy about. They haven't really been nice to me. And Brett, what are you going to do? What's your attitude going to be? How are you going to treat them? You, you're going you're gonna to do what's in your heart or are you going to extend to them the grace that's been extended to you? Because, there, look, there are people that I have a hard time with just like you do, right? That's just, that's life. That's who we are. Listen, planks get in the way of grace. So here's a different way to say it. Uh, Jesus' way is better. This way is a little shorter. Got planks? Hmm? You, you got planks? You got, you got planks? I don't, I don't know if you got planks or not, but Jesus, Jesus would say, you probably got planks. That's why there are certain people that you just don't look forward to running into. You just don't want to be around them. Don't miss this. Jesus is saying, look, when you begin to see that person the way I see that person, you will not dread that encounter. Instead, you will see it as, as an opportunity to do something unsettling we've been talking about grace being unsettling grace is kind of unsettling it's awkward when you get what you don't deserve it's like well boy that's awkward it's like a coat that doesn't quite fit it's like oh I, you know I, I don't deserve 
they, they should be really nasty to me, and they're not being nasty to me. They're offering me grace instead. It's, it's a little unsettling. You won't dread that dinner party where that person is going to be. You won't be like, oh, they're going to be there. No. When you're ready to give grace to somebody and you're, not, you're focused completely on the planks in your eye, then you don't worry so much about them. You're perfectly willing. When you understand that God has forgiven you and he's, in spite of these great big planks, it's pretty easy to extend grace to somebody else. You won't dread the dinner party, the meeting, the gift exchange. You won't dread it as much as you'll say, you know what, here's an opportunity to do something amazing, to do something unsettling. Here's a chance, and maybe the only chance I'll have all year to do this, to do for somebody else what they would not do for me because what they did to me, and they're not expecting me to do this for them. They've been so hateful and nasty to me, they're not expecting me to be kind. They're not expecting me to show grace. I've focused so much on my plank, I've gotten over me. And now I can go really be what this person needs me to be in the name of Jesus. And here we see the brilliance of the teaching of Jesus. This is why he keeps saying, first, 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 you've got to examine what's in your own eyes. First, you've got to remove the plank before you can begin to extend grace. If you just try to be nice and more patient, you won't deal with what's going on in your life, and it's not going to work. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. You'll be able to be more authentic. It'll, you'll be real. You'll have insight when you decide to do something good for somebody else. This is what I've learned, and I think you, should, you would say that it's true for you as well. If you really take your faith seriously, the more aware I am of what God has yet to do in me. In other words, as I read my Bible and as I spend time with Jesus, those things are like looking into mirrors, right? They're, it's like looking into a spiritual mirror. When you read the Bible, it's like looking into a spiritual mirror because what you see back is just how you don't measure up to that. The more time I spend with Jesus, the more aware I am of what God has yet to do in me. God's got a lot of work to do in me. The more time I spend working on my planks, the more time I spend considering my planks, the less aware I am of what God has yet to do in you. I tell people all the time, you know, I've had people say, I don't know if I want to go to church, Brett, because people, you know, I mean, I'm not a church person, and people will look down, your congregation will look down their nose at me. And I'm like, dude, trust me, we, we are, we got, nobody's going to look down their nose at you. We can't see past our own stuff. We're too busy worried about us than, than to have to worry about what's going on in your world. We're just so thankful Jesus loves us and lets us come to church. Nobody's going to look at you like that. Come on and come to church with us. And I'm not just less aware of what God has yet to do in you. I'm less bothered. I'm less bothered by it. Christians should be the hardest people in the world to offend. I think we're the easiest, to be honest. We're a bunch of pansies when it comes right down to it. We get our feelings hurt too easy. We just get, we're just too offendable. And we, we should be the hardest people to offend. Here's why I say that. We have been forgiven of so much that when we understand how gracious God has been to us and how we have offended him, 
with what we've done and the way we've lived and then to see what he's done for us to give us Jesus, we should be the hardest people in the world to offend. The more aware you become of the planks that you need to remove, the easier it will be for you to extend grace to other people. And at Christmas time, grace came to earth to dwell with us in spite of us. And this Christmas, you're going to have an opportunity to do some in spite of grace giving. And it won't be effective, and it won't work, and you will find no joy in it. Hear that. You will find no joy in it unless you first remove the plank from your own eye. Until you look at yourself and go, you know what, I need to fix that. And I'm not going to worry about anybody else until I fix that. And see, what happens when you start in on that is now, once you take planks out of your eye, you're not looking to take anything out of anybody else's eye. You're filled with grace because you understand just how much God has loved you while you've been walking around with that great big plank in your eye. Isn't it interesting that God was more brokenhearted over our sin than he was put off by it? God was more brokenhearted by our sin than he was put off by it. When God saw our sin, he didn't scowl, he didn't fold his arms, he didn't have snarky comments for us, he didn't look the other way. No, he wasn't put off by our sin, he was brokenhearted, and he ran to the rescue, first in the form of a little baby, but eventually that baby grows up into a man who goes to a cross to rescue us. And he dies on a cross for you and for me. Jesus didn't take sides. Jesus comes alongside. You'll find that throughout the Gospels, with one exception, there was just one group of people that Jesus had a hard time coming alongside. Uh, the people that Jesus had the most trouble with in his time on earth weren't sinners in the traditional sense of the word. The people that Jesus had the most trouble with were people who represented graceless religion. Religious people whose planks made it impossible for them to see people the way Jesus saw people. The people that Jesus had the most trouble with were people who didn't believe that they were in need of grace. Jesus had no patience for that kind of person. And, and I don't, I don't want to be one of those people, and I don't think you want to be one of those people. And yet, Sometimes, you know, if you're somebody and, and you're, you're having trouble coming to Jesus, it may be that you've run into somebody who don't exhibit grace very well, who haven't exhibited amazing grace. What I find is most people who don't follow Jesus, it's not that they don't follow Jesus because of Jesus. Most people don't have a problem with Jesus. Most people have a problem with people who say they follow Jesus. They had an encounter with somebody who called themselves a Christ follower, and it was such a bad experience, they're like, no thanks. But they don't really have a problem, because I've asked, you know, like, what exactly about Jesus do you not like? And they're like, well, you know, it's not really Jesus. I mean, Jesus, I guess, is okay. What's that song? Jesus is just all right with me. Jesus is okay. It's, it's, the, it's the followers. And I'm constantly saying, hey, don't hold it against Jesus because we can't get it right. We're never going to get it right.
When grace is out front, there is something very attractive about grace and the people who exhibit grace. You tell me who your favorite person is, and the odds are pretty good that whoever you describe to me is somebody who has grace out front in their life. They are a grace person. They are, they are benevolent to other people. They are kind to other people. They are considerate. They, they think about other people. We saw this in the first week when John uh, wrote in his gospel that, that Jesus was full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. So I've got one question for us this morning. If Jesus was full of grace and truth, what are you full of? <laughs> Don't answer that. What comes out of you when you get shaken up? When you bump into sinners like you, who the only difference between you and them is just the list of sins, right? Like you've got your list and they've got theirs and they may not be exactly the same. When you bump in, when you get shaken up, what comes out? Here's maybe a better question for us this morning. The bigger question is, what are we full of? As a congregation, what, what is Cross Lane full of? When people think about our church, when you're out somewhere and they run into you and church comes up, and where do you go to church? Oh, I go to Cross Lane. What do they think? What do they, when they hear that name, what do they think? What comes to their mind? The church is most appealing when grace is most apparent. And some people um, that you might invite to church won't want to come and the reason that they'll push back really has nothing to do with Jesus. It has far more to do with Christians that they've met that haven't extended grace to them. And they had a bad church experience, and they just don't want to repeat that. The church is most appealing when grace is most apparent. And we are the church every single day. When you leave this place and you go out and you're in Kroger or you're at Walmart or wherever you are, you're the church. And Christ is counting on you to extend grace to people. So, are you willing to remove the plank? Would you remove the plank so that you can see clearly and give grace to the people around you? People that are just, you know, you, you know you're just sure they're the problem, not you. You're sure they're the ones with the issue. Would you be willing to consider that you have a plank that needs to be removed and it's keeping you from extending grace to somebody. Somebody who, and, and this is no exaggeration, somebody who grace from you could change their life. Grace from you would be an introduction to the grace of God. Grace from you because they know they don't deserve it because they are so aware of what they've done. Maybe they've hurt you so badly and they know they've hurt you and if you were just gracious to them, it may change their life. They may think to themselves, you know what, if they're willing and able to treat me like that after what I've done to them, maybe there is a God. Certainly they believe it because look at the way they're living. For some of you, this is your story. For some of you, you, you let somebody down so bad, you hurt them so bad, and they were so gracious to you that it made their Jesus attractive to you. You were like, you know what, if that's what Jesus is, I want some of that because I can't believe they're treating me like this. I don't deserve that. Now, let's close. I know you've got your house all decorated for Christmas, okay? Ladies, you are amazing. It amazes me how you can find place settings and placemats and napkin holders that match the place. It's, it just floors me how... 
You're either geniuses or you're spending a whole ton of money at Amazon. I don't know, one of the two. You've got your house all decorated. I've seen some of your trees on social media. They're beautiful. You know, your tree's got lights on it. Your house, I'm not even talking about your house, got so many lights on it. NORAD has checked it like, like you are registered at NORAD. We can see your house from space kind of thing, right? You've done all the prep work. You're physically, you are ready for Christmas. You're ready, ready to go. Here's the question. Are you ready for grace to come to town? Are you ready for grace to come to your house when Uncle Tommy walks in and you can't stand him or Aunt Hilda or I'm trying to come up with names of somebody that's not in here. (laughs) Are you ready for them to walk through the door when you know it's hard to give them grace? Are you ready for them to walk through the door when you know there's a history there and it's like, okay, I'm going to do it different this year. I'm going to focus on the plank in my own eye. Are you ready for grace this Christmas. If you still feel superior to sinners like you, then you still have some work to do. And if you're not a believer, then can I invite you to consider that this little baby that we celebrate at Christmas, and I know that's sweet and, and cuddly, and you know, I know it's, Chris, it's children's stories and things like that, but it's more than that. And I, I don't expect you to admit it to me. You'd never admit it to me, but I know it's true. You feel guilty. You walk around and you worry. You believe there's a God. You actually believe there's a Jesus. You actually believe he went to the cross, and you actually believe he's the son of God. You believe all that. But there's just something in you that keeps you from humbling yourself to finally admit, you know what, I am a sinner, and I do need to be forgiven. And again, I know, I know you don't want to admit any of that to me or anybody else, but you feel it. Maybe this is the Christmas where you stop playing games, not with God, but with yourself, and you're honest with yourself, and you say, you know what, I really need to do something about this, and I need to be forgiven. And I'm just going to tell you that coming to Christ and placing your faith in Christ is all about being forgiven. And anybody that is a Christian in this room that has given their life to Christ, I can just tell you what they would tell you. What they would tell you is, man, when you get forgiven, there is no feeling like that. And you're free. And you never worry about that ever again. And if you've never made that kind of commitment to Christ, you need to do that. What are you waiting for? Let's have a conversation. Come find me. Say, Brett, okay, I'm I'm ready to talk about this. I don't know anything about it. Look, it's not about who knows what and how smart you are. It's about a couple of things. Are you a sinner? Yes. Do you need to be forgiven? Yes. You believe Jesus died for you? Yes. You want to give your life to him? You want to be forgiven? Yes. All right. And let's do that. Let's have a conversation. Let's talk about it. Christmas time. What a great time to give your life to Christ. Let's pray. The band will come out and sing for us. Father, we, we think about this baby in a manger, and it's sweet, and it's awesome. And Lord, you did that in a way that if we were going to announce the coming Savior, we would have never thought of doing it that way. You came in such humility. He came helpless, a small child. You included people like shepherds who nobody thought about shepherds. Nobody cared about shepherds, but shepherds were there. That's us, God. That's a bunch of people that don't 
in the grand scheme of things don't matter. Nobody's really thinking about us. But you came for us. And you forgave us. And you died on a cross. And you took care of every, every deficiency when it comes to God that we could ever face. You took it all away. Anything that would keep us from God, you removed all the obstacles. And now we can just, we belong to you. It's just, it, it just, it's, it's, it's almost, when you say it out loud, it's almost too good to be true. But it's real, and it's true, and we know it. So, Father, by faith this morning, we just give you thanks that you have forgiven us. We celebrate that. We celebrate our Savior at Christmas. Father, for the person that's in the room that's just fighting this, they're fighting it. They, they, they know they need to make a decision. They've been thinking about it forever. They need to pull the trigger. Help them, Lord. Speak to them. Convict them if you have to. Father, we love you. Help us to be grace givers this Christmas. We pray in Jesus' name.